Hello, and welcome to the NVIDIA AI Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Kravitz. Let's start with a question. How do you win a fast-paced first-person shooter? Answer? It helps to have a good GPU, of course. Here's another question. How do you win one of the world's most high-profile robotics competitions? You guessed it. It helps to have a good GPU. Today's guest, Doug Morrison of the Australian Center for Robotic Vision, helped lead the team that developed Cartman, a custom-built, cost-effective robot system that picked and placed its way to victory in the 2017 Amazon Robotics Challenge Global Finals in Nagoya, Japan. Doug, thanks so much for joining us, and welcome to the NVIDIA AI podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, so first off, congratulations on your win last year. And I want to start with, uh, this is going to sound, sounds more like a dating profile in a way than a professional profile, but I think it serves both purposes. The official uh, website of the Australian Center for Robotic Vision lists your interests as robotic vision, machine learning, and control. I was hoping to see romantic walks on the beach on there, but I haven't been to Sydney. I don't know how the beaches are. Your research, it says, is in developing new control strategies for robotic grasping using a combination of vision, tactile information, and machine learning. So let's unpack all that starting wherever you want. What do you do at the center and how does that pertain to winning the robotics challenge? So my research is about developing robotic systems that can grasp items and move them around in the unstructured environments of the real world. So for example, in your house, um, in a store, a hospital, anything like that. So while robotic systems are really good at picking and moving objects in a highly structured environment like a factory, right. in something like a house where there is no structure, items could be of any type, they could be moving, there are obstacles, it's a lot more difficult. So my research is to endow robots with higher level understanding of how to grasp objects, which includes both the physical act of picking something up, putting it down, but also higher level concepts like understanding what you can do with an object or what it is. So, you know, we've got, what, 18 minutes left? Let's break it all down from scratch. How do, how do you go about it? Now, how does how does deep learning uh, play into it? Because I'm a little older than you, but I immediately thought of, I have two kids. They're awesome kids. They're room, minefield of stuff. So I immediately started thinking about, you know, the complexities of doing that, teaching a human to do that. How do you teach a robot to do that? Absolutely. So deep learning plays a part in a few different ways. So at the most basic level, the actual act of performing a grasp and deciding what the best way to pick an object up is, is something that's been studied for decades. Sure. But it's not until recently with the proliferation of deep learning that we've actually seen really big strides ahead in robots that can pick up objects in a general way. That is, without having any prior information about the object, they can reason about it in a similar way to a human by just taking the object's geometry, for example, um, without having to know what the object is or have to look it up from a database of pre-existing objects. Right. Do you, does the robot, or when you're designing the system, does it take into account things like uh, one side of the robot being, or of the object rather, being more delicate or, you know, things related to the material, or is it right now a difficult enough task just to get the robot to grasp the object successfully? So at the moment, um, we haven't quite made it to that point yet. So the focus is on just figuring out the best way to pick an object up. But my future work, and what a lot of other people are also working on, is actually giving robots this higher level understanding. And as you say, things like the material properties play a part, but also object identification and ob what we call object semantics, so what you can do with an object, also play a big part. So for example, you could pick up a knife 
but it only really makes sense to pick it up in a couple of different ways if you want to use it to cut something, for example. Right. Um, and so at this point then in, in, in your work and in the state of the field, where are we with those semantics? What, uh, once you've trained, trained the robot to successfully pick something up, does it have any idea what to do with it? Yes and no. So the semantics come in a lot of different forms. I guess in the most basic form, things like just identifying an object at the most basic level um, is something that we're getting quite good at. And deep learning has obviously played a really big role in that. Having higher level understanding is something that's still relatively preliminary. So to be able to apply kind of human level knowledge about what a handle is or what you can do with certain objects is something that is still in the fairly early stages. Sure, sure. So how long have you been working on the problem of robotic grasping? Um, so I'm about a year and a half into my PhD. Okay. And what, if anything, has changed during that time, whether in terms of, you know, the technology and the state of deep learning? Because obviously over the past few years, deep learning, AI in general has kind of exploded uh, both culturally, but more importantly, kind of what you can do, technically speaking. How has that impacted or even other work you've been doing? What's changed uh, in, in robotic grasping? Absolutely. So robotic grasping is something that's being studied worldwide by a lot of people. So the field is moving really, really quickly. It's only in the last two years or so that um, people have actually been applying deep learning techniques to robotic grasping. How, how was it? This may be a kind of a naive question, but how was it done before deep learning? So there's a lot of different methods. Um, in the kind of earliest phases, people would use uh, kind of mathematical and physical models, which work on paper but are very, very difficult to transfer to the real world because they don't take into account any of the uncertainties that you could have with a real robotic system. And they're also basically impossible to scale up to real-world objects. More recently, um, there are a lot of techniques which use experience. So you can, for a model of an object, calculate a bunch of potential grasps, and then when you encounter that object, you can look it up in a database or well, similarly, you can calculate a set of grasps for a certain shape, and then you can select the closest shape from a database and apply those grasps. And the robots that you're working with, the actual physical graspers, are they sort of, uh, I'm making motions with my hand that are useless on a podcast, but are they sort of two-fingered pinchers, or are they more articulated with, with more than two digits? What are, they, what are the actual physical hands like? Um, so my research and what a lot of the other state-of-the-art research uses is and typical grasping. So as you say, it's like a pincer grip with two fingers. Okay. There is also a lot of other research going on with what we call dexterous grasping with multi-fingered hands, but it's a different ballpark completely. Yeah. Is the, the level of complexity involved with that just exponential? Yeah, absolutely. The complexity and the planning involved is much more difficult and it hasn't been cracked to the same point as uh, two-fingered grasping. Um, our guest today is Doug Morrison of the Australian Centre for Robotic Vision, Doug is a researcher uh, who's been working on robotic grasping, amongst other robot-related topics. Um, he's been developing new control strategies for grasping using a combination of vision, tactile information, and machine learning. As we said at the top, Doug, you led or helped lead a team to the 2017 Amazon Robotics Championship. Uh, you guys won the global finals. So tell us about that. What was what was the competition? What did you have to do? What did the stages look like? Take us take us behind the curtain. Sure. So the competition itself is run by Apple. Was run by Amazon, with the idea 
being to kind of automate the last stage of their warehouse. So at the moment, in a state-of-the-art Amazon warehouse, all of the shelves are picked up by small robots, which drive the shelf over to a human who stands at the front, and all the human has to do is pick the item off a shelf and put it in the box. The challenge is to automate that process. So the competition comprised three stages. So the first is what we call a stowing task. Um, and this simulates the task of taking a box of returns or new items and stowing them into an Amazon storage shelf, for example. What this involved is essentially receiving a big red tub called a tote full of 16 completely random objects, everything from books and DVDs to washcloths, clear plastic cups, and everything in between. Small things, big things, soft things, hard things. Absolutely. I'm guessing maybe things pack it. What does Amazon call it? Frustration-free packaging. So maybe you had to deal with the frustrating packaging. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of things with no packaging at all, which means that they're not box-shaped. Right, right. So that was the first stage of the competition. The second stage of the competition is called the picking task, which is the opposite task of finding ordered items in a shelf and packing them into the correct boxes. Again, you have a storage system with 32 random items in it. Um, So the system has to completely autonomously locate all the correct items, identify them, figure out how to pick them up and transport them and place them into packing boxes. And how did you do? I mean, obviously you were successful in the competition, but out of the 16 in the first round, the 32 in the second round, how many did you get right? We had a bit of a slow start. As with any competition, some of the things weren't exactly how we expected when we got there. Sure. You traveled to a location with your system and then set it up on the playing field, so to speak. Absolutely. So the competition was held in Japan. So we completely packed down our robot, put it in bags, checked it on the plane, (laughs) transported it the whole way to Japan, and then built it on the other side. Okay. We had a team of 13 people to help us help us do that, um, everyone from postdocs to undergrad students on right. the team. And how big, how physically large is the robot? So our robot, called Cartman, is a completely custom robot. It's a Cartesian robot, which means instead of a robotic arm, which has a number of joints like an elbow and a wrist, um, it's essentially a big cube that can move linearly in three directions, okay. so left and right, forward and back, up and down. The reason we chose to design our own robot for the competition Um, is that by having a Cartesian robot rather than an arm, it simplifies the act of reaching into boxes. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about colliding with it as much because you can move straight up and down. Right, right, okay. Um, It also makes your workspace a large square rather than a strange circle you get with (laughs) a a robotic arm, uh, which simplifies the task for us a lot in that way. So you got to round one and you had, was it 16? 16 items to deal with? Yes. In the first round, in the stowing round, you have to stow 16 items from a tote into the storage system, um, and you score points based on how many you successfully move, but also have successfully identified and have output as being in the correct location. Right. right. Um, And you lose points for dropping items, damaging them, or putting them in the wrong location. Did you destroy it? Did Cartman destroy any items? Uh, No. Okay. We were fine from that regard. (laughs) Uh, yeah, in the first round, we uh, had a couple of bugs that we uh, you know, hadn't anticipated. Just a few things were slightly different in the competition. Right, but good enough but to get through. Good enough to get through. So to get through to the finals round, uh-huh. it was an aggregate score of the first okay. two rounds. Now, was this all happening on in the same day or the same couple of days? Yep, so the competition was over three days. So okay. um, there were 16 teams competing from all around the world, uh, 10 different countries, I believe, with one task performed on each day. Okay, so at the competition, when you got these totes full of items, were these items, did you have a a list ahead of time so you knew what items you were going to be dealing with? Um, For some of the items, yes. So before the competition, Amazon sent out all of the teams a set of 
40 items that we could test with and they were part of the competition items. Okay. But for each competition run, they would also introduce half of the items that we'd never seen before. And so we only got these items 30 minutes before our competition run, which makes using modern deep learning techniques for object identification really difficult. Not only right. do you not have any data for the objects, but you also don't have a whole lot of time to retrain your network. So how did you cope with that situation, then not having the time or the data really to properly you know, retrain your networks? So we tried a few different methods, um, some of which don't require retraining networks, but we found, especially in a cluttered tote, we couldn't get the performance that we needed to be able sure. to accurately pick up items. The approach that we ended up using was to use a state-of-the-art network called RefineNet, which is a semantic segmentation network, um, which we found we could actually retrain with very little data. So for each of the new items, all we had to do was collect seven images of the object from different angles, um, and then train our network for the 20 minutes that we had remaining. <laughs> right. um, and that was enough for us to achieve uh, good yeah. enough. Uh, oh, that is amazing. You know, the, the competition had been going on for, this is the third of three years. First year of the competition, would something like that have been possible, do you think? No, I don't think so. So in the three years that the competition's been run, um, the vision systems especially are one aspect that have improved dramatically. And right. a lot of that's due to the proliferation of deep learning into these kind of areas. Right. That's fantastic. And so you got through the first two rounds, the stowing and the pick and place, is that right? Yeah. And got to the third round. Third round is the finals? Yeah. How many teams in the finals? Uh, there were eight teams in the finals. Eight teams so in the So the top finals. eight teams from the first two rounds made it into the finals. Got it. Okay. And what was the task? Uh, so the finals task is a combination of the stow and the pick. So first, the robot has to pick 16 items out of a tote and stow them into the storage system. Right. After that, you then have to perform a pick task on those items and pick them back into cardboard boxes, with the caveat being that if you haven't successfully stowed some of the items, you can't pick them back out right, at a right, later, right. later time. No, no, not to ask you to recall exactly how many, but how much did you beat the second place team by? Was it neck and neck? Was it down to the last item? It was absolutely down to the last item. So the top four teams were neck and neck right to the very end. Okay. We were the only team who managed to successfully pick all of the available items back into the cardboard boxes, which Got gave it. us bonus points and pushed us in, into first place, which really came down to it. If we hadn't picked the last item, it was right, neck right, and neck right, between, right. between four different teams at that point. I love it. High drama at the Amazon Robotics Challenge. And so what happens now? You have a blank check to go modernize all of Amazon's warehouses? Not quite. Not quite. Uh, so, <laughs> so obviously there was prize money. Um, we won $80,000 for our center, which Excellent. is really good and yeah. we can use to... Um, buy more equipment for the center. And part of the competition rules is we have to completely open source our design. Oh, okay. Um, so all of our source code, everything we've done is up on GitHub. Wow. Um, Very if cool. If anyone wants to have a look at it. So since you mentioned the center, tell me a little bit or tell the listeners a little bit about the center. What goes on there? Um, so the Australian Center for Robotic Vision is an Australian-wide um, research center uh, spread across four universities, the Queensland University of Technology, the Australian National University, Adelaide University, and Monash University. Okay. The centre researches almost every facet of robotic vision. We do everything from kind of raw computer vision, autonomous navigation, uh, manipulation, and everything in between. Got it. And so you're at the Queensland Centre? I'm at the Queensland University the of Queensland Technology. Queensland University yeah. Right, correct. Okay. And do you work in conjunction? Do you go to the other sites? And are you travelling around Australia working at the different centres? Or are you pretty much uh, centred in Queensland? 
Um, I mean, I'm mostly centered in Queensland, but there's a lot of collaboration within the center, right. um, especially on the Amazon Challenge, for example, was a team effort oh, across all oh, of great. the different nodes. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And you said it took you, the competition was in Japan. Yeah. Uh, Nagoya? Yeah. And how long were you there for? Um, so we were there for about a week. So it was in and out very quickly. Get there, set up the robot. Uh, first time in Japan? Yep. How was it? Um, it was really good. Unfortunately, didn't get to see a whole lot of Japan. Right, right. Um, it was very much a case of wake up at six, go to the competition, yeah. come home is when they kicked us out at night. <laughs> right, right. So did you have time between the rounds to, I mean, were you stomping bugs? Were you fixing physical things? Were you kind of tweaking the, the models and the strategies of the robot? What were you doing in between the rounds? Yeah, absolutely. So each day our competition run only went for about an hour. Um, so we had the rest of the time to fix bugs, do testing, upgrade the system as required, which is something we did the whole way through because you, you're always finding new things. Right, right. Very exciting. That's very cool. Let's go back a little bit. When you were a kid, did you dream about automating warehouse pick and place and stow systems? Were you heavy into robots? How did you get into to this field? Yeah, I guess from a young age, it's something I've always wanted to do. I studied engineering after high school, um, and I've always wanted to be in robotics and automation. Right. And were you, I mean, as a kid or, or in high school, or have you, were you taking things apart, reverse engineering them? Were you kind of more focused on the you know computer science side of things, a little of both? Uh, a little bit of both, definitely. So I absolutely love to tinker. <laughs> Very cool. Um, okay, and so looking ahead now, the competition, are you re-entering or is it, you know, you won it and 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 that's it and you're moving on? Uh, what's what's in the, the near term for you and the Australian Center for Robotics Vision? And then kind of more broadly, you know, where do you see robotic grasping and, and the implications of the work you're doing going over the next, I mean, these things move fast. So the next, you know, three, five years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, 2017 was the last year that Amazon was running the robotics oh, okay. competition. They've replaced it with just research grants um, trying to promote more research into manipulation from this point. Okay. It's very interesting to see over the three years the competition was run, the state of the art um, improved immensely, Yeah. Um, especially in the difficulty of the tasks that they set went up, but also the speed and the precision of all of the systems also went up a lot as well. Right. And so where is your work in particular headed over the, the next couple of years? What are you working on now? So I guess robotic grasping, as good as it is at the moment, has a long way to go before it's scalable to something the size of an Amazon warehouse sure. where they sell millions of different objects. The throughput has to be really high. We're actually a long way from human level precision and speed. And then more broadly to be able to perform these kind of tasks in the unstructured world. So people's houses, society at large is still a really difficult task. So there's a long way to go for those kind of things. Well, when you're ready, I have a almost nine-year-old and a five-year-old and they share a room and it's unstructured and there are objects of all shapes and sizes, none of which are in the right place. So, you know, you can beta test my house anytime you guys want. Absolutely. I've had plenty of offers like that already. <laughs> I'm sure you have. <laughs> well, Doug, thank you so much. Uh, if people want to find out more about your work or the center's work, is there somewhere online they can go? Um, absolutely. They can visit our website at roboticvision.org. Excellent. Doug Morrison, thank you so much for joining us and uh, all the best of luck uh, to you and your colleagues in um, shaping the, the future of uh, robotic picking and packaging and delivering things to my house. Thanks very much. Thanks.